with me to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to begin in verse 13. Please stay with me here this morning on this because I'm not I'm not here to upset anything. This is not my opinion. This is actually the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I really want you to, to bear with me. And please use this morning as a self-examination of yourself. Uh, go with me to Matthew 7, 13. I'm going to begin, and it says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult, notice that word difficult, the road that leads to life, and few find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you will recognize them by their fruit, them being us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Notice that word does. Who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So often on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or wherever we go to church, especially in today's culture, we don't hear a lot of this. So much is emphasized on the love of Christ and the love of God, which that is true, and God is love, and, and God is amazing, he's kind, he blesses, he does all these things. And But I want you to understand something, okay? He's also just. We serve a just God, we serve a good God. And that word good, it sounds great to us, but in reality, it should terrify us. Because if he is good, and I am not good, then there's something that has to be paid. He is also a just God, meaning if we are living in sin, then there has to be justice. He is love, he is kind, but he's also just. Now, please understand, let's go to go to this text. This is the actual teaching of Christ here. And he sets before us two contrasts. Number one, we have a narrow way and a broad way. That's the first contrast. The other contrast is in the respect to the number which go each way. Those who go the broad way, which leads to destruction, are many. And those who go the straight way through the narrow gate are few. Now here's what I hear Jesus saying. The most or the vast majority of human beings that you know and that I know are on their way to hell. Simply put. And if they were to die right now, they would go to hell. It would also say to me that statistically that there is a significant number of people in this room right now that if they die today we go to hell. We don't like to hear that a lot of times. But that's what he's saying. And we're going to dig into this just a little bit. And the reason is, that is because they're on the broad road that leads to destruction. Now, Jesus is not denying justification by faith when he says, strive to enter into the narrow gate. 
as he does in Luke's version. We see that in Luke 13, uh, verse 24. But they think they can go get through the narrow door by living on the broad way. And here's the problem. It gets worse. Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open it to us. Notice that they don't say whoever is in there. They say, Lord. They don't say, can you open the door? They know who's inside. Meaning they have heard the gospel. They have heard the truth. They know who he is by name. But they don't know him. Matthew's version said, they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? And Jesus will say to them, who are you? Please leave. Now, he knows cognitively every one of those people. That are knocking at the door. But he doesn't know them savingly. Please know the difference. In other words he's saying. You are not known by me. In a redemptive way. It's too late. And he goes on to say. They will say Lord open to us. And he will say. I know not where you are from. And you'll say well we ate and drank in your presence. We came to the Lord's table. In other words we came to church. We went to Bible study. I paid my tithes. I did all the right stuff. I did everything I was supposed to do. We can even go back to the time when Jesus was alive. I guarantee you, there were people that stand before the door and say, we saw you heal the, par heal the paralytic. We saw you do these miracles. We saw you turn water into wine. And he looks at them and says, I don't know you. Now, he describes the nature of the place where they're going. Guess what? There's a human response of being in hell. Did you know that? We don't talk a lot about hell in church. Why? It scares people. We don't like to offend people. In fact, we've gotten so bad in the church culture, we, we don't even call them sinners. We call them unchurched. We're so afraid of offending people that we just, we don't even, we don't even speak this part of it. Well, that's often what we need to hear. Jesus gives an actual human response to being in hell. You ever wonder what people are doing there? Now, he doesn't describe every activity that takes place, but he does describe two responses. Number one, he says, in that place, there will be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. There, you know it. Some people, when they wake up in hell, they will be devastated. They won't find enough water in their eyes to satisfy their need to weep. And then the other group won't be weeping at all. They will be gnashing their teeth, which is a biblical metaphor for human fury. How dare God put me here? How dare he put me here? Look, I don't want to go there. I don't want anyone else to go there. If I was in God's shoes, I don't see how in the world I could send anyone there. I'm just glad he's not me. Did you know that Jesus himself taught more about hell than he did about heaven? One day, all of us will stand naked before a holy God and you will be judged. Some of you will hear my voice today. You'll go to heaven when you die. And others will hear this warning. And you will not listen. Church, listen to me. I know this is not your typical Sunday morning sermon. And trust me, I debated really hard about this. Sometimes it's hard to preach this. But you need to be very careful. This Christianity that we have is not a cultural thing. Please understand this. This Christianity is not something that should just be a small part of your life. It is not something that you merely do on Sunday. 
Christianity is not about you living in the world six days a week and coming to church. Christianity is not about you being just like the world all the time, coming to church on Sunday. If that's your Christianity, you have no Christianity. Period. If you're saved, if you think you're saved because you're affiliated with some church body, you're wrong. You're not Christian. I ask you this question. How do you know? I titled this message. I wasn't even really sure what to title it, but this is the question. Are you sure? Those of you that have been going all your life, I don't care how old you are, are you sure? How do you know? How do you know that you've truly come to know Christ? How do you know that if you die right now, you go to heaven? You see, let me explain it like this. The end result is not heaven. If you're trying to get to heaven just for simply escaping hell, it's not fire insurance. Let me promise you that. If you're just trying to get to heaven, you're going to be disappointed because the point is Christ. The object is Christ. It's not heaven. You say, well, it's all of grace. Yes, it's all of grace. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. We are saved by believing the promises of the gospel. This is true, but what you need to understand is that Grace is a powerful thing. And he who has given you grace to repent and believe continues to give you grace to repent and to continue believing. It isn't a one-time thing. You can't say, well, I gave my heart to Jesus back when I was seven years old. No, no, no. If it's not continuing in your life, it was not real. If there's not continual repentance in your life, it's not true. Are you hearing me this morning? He who gives you grace to believe in the justification also will give you grace for your, I like this word, sanctification. Y'all know what that is. Y'all been in church long enough, I hope so. Sanctification. This is so that you and I may grow in holiness. We don't preach that a lot either. We don't like that word. We think that's an old-timey word. We've changed. The culture's changed. Listen to me. One of the greatest evidences that you truly believe in Christ under salvation is that God has begun a what? Good work of sanctification in you. Yeah. He works and he works to make you holy. Let me ask you, is that a reality in your life? Are you in pursuit of holiness? Can you honestly tell me that your great desire is to be holy? Can you t honestly tell me that your desire is not to be like the world, but to be a reflection of Christ? Can you tell me that? Because if you cannot, you should be very afraid. Those who love the world do not have what? The love of the Father. The Bible says that what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when a holy God looks at a sinful man, the only thing that their sin motivates God to do is to judge them. So if God is going to save men, it is not because of men. It is in spite of men. God does not save us because we deserve to be saved. God saves us because he is a savior. God does not love us because we deserve to be loved. He loves us because he himself is love. Are you understanding me? And that's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of salvation. I don't deserve it, but he still gives it to me. I don't deserve it. So if God is going to save men, it's because of who he is. You see, and I want you to understand this, and when the church itself lowers the standard of the gospel in order to get more people to come in, 
And when a church does not preach holiness and what it means to be truly converted, then Christianity fills up with a lot of ungodly people. And because of their actions, the unbelieving world blasphemes the name of God. Are you, do you understand what I just said there? We have been using carnal means to attract people to church, and we wonder why our church is so carnal. I'm all for outreach. I love helping people. But if you're just coming to get a free backpack and a free meal, I'm sorry. That's a problem. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing the what? Word. Now, the Bible gives us a, a, a really cool illustration on how this word is a seed. And there are four different types of ground that that seed is planted in. Understand that the metaphor of the seed is actually the word of God. And there's four different grounds that you can sow the word of God in your life. Number one is a stony ground. Everybody knows it's hard to plant seed on the rock. It doesn't take root, right? Meaning... If you're, if you're investing your word time in, the, in this rocky soil, it's not going to take root in your mind and in your heart. If you try to plant it in thorny ground where it's choked out by all the other stuff competing for your attention, it doesn't take root, right? But we also have good ground that's easily cultivated, easily used for planting. We need to understand that people who claim to know Christ and yet live in a way that contradicts the word of God and the character of Christ are not Christian. I can stand up here all day and proclaim the name of Christ, but if my life does not reflect it, my testimony is invalid. We are saved by faith alone. We're not saved by works. But what you need to understand is that a person who has truly been saved has been born again. They become new. A new creation. I am made new. I'm no longer the way I was. You see, God has done a tremendous work in me, in you, if you know Christ, to demonstrate his power. He's made us a new creation with new affections, new desires. You understand the difference? Our desire, if we're truly a Christian, is to serve Christ and to be holy. Has that happened in you? Let me ask you this question. You look at the world and long to be like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world. Do you wish only to have the world's respect and the world's esteem? Because if you are that way, you ought to be terrified. Because that could be the evidence that God hasn't done a good work in you. If God's power cannot be seen in your life, leading you to greater and greater holiness, then maybe there is no power of God in your life. Has he regenerated your heart? You are not born again because he says, I am going to save people. Why? To demonstrate to the world how powerful I am, not only in saving their souls, but in transforming their lives. Is God transforming your life? You can't just stop on a Sunday morning altar call. Is your life changing? Understand this, though. Christians are not sinless. I definitely am not sinless. Christians are not perfect. Christians will struggle with sin. And Christians can even fall to their temptation. But get this, in the midst of that weakness, it will be evident that God is working and that God is teaching. God is disciplining. And God is bringing them to greater and greater heights of Christian maturity and holiness. Is that you? I'm not denying the fact that we sin. We sin. You're looking at the chief of one right now. But I do know this. 
that when I sin, it's devastating. It's devastating. Does it bother you? This is a really good litmus test. Does it bother you? You want to know if you're saved, does it bother you when you fall? Because if it does, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, I, I don't like pain. Anybody here like pain? I can't stand it. You know, even, you know, when you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you find the corner on that small toe, you know, the spirit of slap wants to come out of me, you know. I don't like pain. But what pain does is it lets your body know there's a problem. Without the pain, your body doesn't know. And that was a big issue back in the day when they were dealing with leprosy a lot. Because if you had it, what it would do is it would numb the nerves of all your extremities and you wouldn't even know you had it. Because you couldn't feel pain. You couldn't feel it hurt you. It was like numbing. It was to the point where it cut it off. And that become a dangerous place because you wouldn't even know it. And it was slowly, slowly eating you alive. What pain does is it lets you know your body has a problem. What conviction does, what the Holy Spirit does, is he lets you know, wait a minute, you just blew it. And what the Holy Spirit does is it lets you know that you need to get right right now. You need to let the Lord, you need to let him know that you repent. I've sinned. That's why repenting don't just stop one time. It's a continual part of your life. It keeps happening. It's a part of who I am. Since you profess faith in Christ, are your desires for Christ growing? Now, I know this can sound like somewhat of a doom and gloom sermon, but this is also one of those great things because if I can recognize it in my life, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm being kept by the power of God. Are your desires for holiness growing? Is God's power transforming your life? Is it evident? Are you becoming less and less like the world and more and more like Christ? See, check this out. When God truly saves a person, what, he, what does he do? He begins to work in them with what purpose? To pull them out of the world. To pull them out of worldliness, to pull them out of sin, and to bring them unto himself. I said it earlier during worship, he draws us unto himself. Is that obvious in your life? Do you see God working in your life? Is he drawing you more and more unto himself? Is he conforming you more and more unto his image? Because if you truly come to Christ, then God will be working on you to make you holy. And if that evidence isn't present in your life, then, then there is a good chance you are not saved. You see, the scripture, the passage that we read, is referring to a lot of people who sit in the church, sit in the church pews professing the name of Christ but are living in the world. That's what Jesus is referencing there. Did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not go to church? Did we not pray? Did we not do all this? And he said, I never knew you. When God saves a person, he is cutting them off from what? From the world. Now, we say that a lot, the world. Now, that can be a broad term. Let's break it down and see what it is. What is the world? Everything on this planet, every idea, every thought, every word, every action that contradicts God's will and God's nature. That's the world. You get it. Everything on earth that opposes God. When God truly saves a person, he cuts them off. And he begins to separate them little by little. He's changing their life. 
by getting the worldliness out of their life. Holiness means to be separated from the world. Somebody say separate. Are you separated? Christian, one of the purposes of the scripture is to teach us what God hates. Did you know that? Problem is, none of you read it enough. I don't want to say none. I'm just paraphrasing here. We don't know enough about God. We assume that we're okay just because we do a few things that we were taught in Sunday school. We, we've even shut that part out. Even the Lord's Day. Not even the full Lord's Day anymore. We always call it the Lord's Day, but we only give you, what, two hours? Some of you who are really sanctified go Sunday nights. Maybe that's a little bit longer. Holiness means to be separated from the world. Make no mistake. There can be no friendship with God in the world. If God is truly working in you, he is going to use his word and the power of his Holy Spirit to do what? To reveal to you what is wrong in this world and to draw you away from it. So if you want God, you're going to have to let go of the world. But if you do not want to let go of the world because you love it, know this, the love of the Father is not in you. I know how deadly my culture is. I don't think you do sometimes. I've come to realize how deadly my culture is. We live in a very comfortable culture, especially in the West. Pretty much what we want, we get. It's pretty easy. We've even got cushion seats outside. Man, and y'all not taking advantage. We have all the comforts that we need. We have a lack of persecution. Did you know that? Up till now, the church was heavily persecuted and still is in many parts of the world now. I know how deadly my culture is. We live in a land full of all kinds of things that glitter that are not gold. You live in a land full of promises that are lies. We live in a land that will do everything in its power to turn you away from Christ. The biggest lie that the devil can give us is that you are good enough. That was the number one lie in the garden all the way through to now. It's easy because we think so highly of ourselves and we just want to go right along with that with that idea. I'm good enough just the way I am. If you haven't heard that a lot recently, you've been living in a hole. You can just be who you are. You can live how you want. You can live in whatever sin and debauchery you want to live in and you're okay as long as you're true to yourself. I'm sorry, but the Bible says that God hates some of that. Hates it. If you're tolerant and accepting of all these different sins in this world, I don't care if it's homosexuality, bestiality, I don't care what it is. It's still sin. I don't care if you're labeled a bigot. God hates it. We are to be separate. Maybe we need a little more persecution. Because what persecution does is cleanses the church. It identifies who's real and who's not. We live in a land that tells us that we can have God and the world too. We live in a land that tells us that we can love the world and love Christ, and I want you to know it's a lie. And listen, please, don't, don't think that I'm trying to be angry this morning. I, I'm not trying to have a mean spirit. I'm saying this to save you from the monster that has killed more people than any political tyrant that has ever lived. If you love the world, be afraid. If he has saved you, that he who began a good work in you will what? Finish it. 
I want you to know that if God has brought you from the condemnation of sin, if he has truly saved you, if he's truly justified you, then the evidence of that is he will continue working in you and transforming you. Why? Because every Christian is a demonstration of God's power. He's going to finish the work he has begun because his reputation depends on it. Can you say that since the moment of your conversion, there is evidence that God is working in your life to make you holy? I can, I can give a short glimpse of my testimony. Most of you watched me grow up, but I spent a lot of time in sin. I, don't, I look like a Christian, but I was a sinner. I even ministered the gospel living in sin. Yeah, you can do that too. Didn't know Christ. Can you say that when you sin, you can't stand it because the Holy Spirit is convicting you? One of the things that the Lord will do when you save someone is he will begin to do a work of cleansing, cleansing them. The moment we believe in Christ, we are justified and are right with God through faith. And he will begin to do a lifetime work of sanctification in us. Be, understand this. Sanctification begins at salvation. Right. You understand that? And then sanctification continues to the day we are glorified. And we're not glorified until we're, we are in our heavenly bodies. Sanctification begins at salvation. Salvation is evident through your sanctification. It's pretty neat because you can literally check off a box and say, yep, that's me. Paul even tells us to examine ourselves, to check ourselves. He will do a lifetime of work in you, changing us, cleansing us from our filthiness and from our idols. And I want you to know something. He can do it. One of the evidences that you are truly a believer is that he is heavily involved in your life. If you have truly been converted, God has a claim on you as his child. That's amazing. You belong to him. He's going to change you for his own glory. And he's going to change you because he loves you. That's where the love comes. Pastor, you said it last Sunday. Talking about blessed. That's stuck with me all week. Talking about being blessed. We think of the word blessed. It doesn't mean always money. Which is fine. I like that blessing. That's one of my favorites. Healing. It's not always healing. I like that one too. I don't want my kids sick. But being blessed is simply being a child of God. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. If he chooses to save me and not heal me, I'll take it all the time. If he chooses to save me and I'm living on the street, bring it on. Sometimes we, we wonder while we pray and pray and pray and pray. And it doesn't seem to ever go anywhere. Let me ask you this question. Are you saved? Because if you're not saved and you're continually praying, it ain't going anywhere. You see, there's a thing called common grace. Anybody know what common grace is? Common grace is for everyone, not just the Christian. Common grace is like this. We have air to breathe. That's common grace. I breathe it, the sinner breathes it. Okay? That's common grace. It's offered to everyone. But there's a different kind of grace. You said it a moment ago as being a child of God. I love this part. I love my children, and I love every other child. But my children get special privileges that yours don't get from me. I will do whatever I can to help another child, but it's not going to be the same as it was if it were my child. Are you understanding me? If I'm a child of God, it's different than when I'm living in the world. And when I cry to my dad in that situation, it's a lot different than when I cry to somebody who's not my dad. You hear me? The saddest part of 
The prodigal son story. Everybody knows the prodigal son story. To me, the saddest part is not the prodigal son. It's the other son. It's the person who is an example of the person going to church all their life, having access to all of this all their life, and rejecting it. That's the sad part. That son had access to the blessing. It was right there the whole time. We have access to the word of God. If you can live in sin and live in the world with all your worldly friends doing all the worldly things and you can get away with it, there is no conviction of the spirit. There is no discipline from God. It is evidence that you are an illegitimate child. You are truly not a child of God. That's terrifying. If you love the sensuality of the world and you love its boasting and its pride of life, it's boasting in the flesh and you can participate in it without the discipline of the father. It is because the father is not your father. I don't discipline your child when he does wrong. I discipline mine. The goal of God in your life is not prosperity. It's not health. It's not wealth. And it's most certainly not your best life now. God's goal, if you belong to him as a child, is to make you holy and to conform you to the image of Christ. That's the priority. He will cleanse you from your filthiness, from your idols. He will do what is necessary. Somebody say necessary. Some things are necessary. I don't like to discipline my children. The older they get, I have to get more creative. I bought a car just so I could take it away. Put my daughter on my credit card so she can buy gas just so I can turn it off. His goal in your life is to conform you to the image of Christ. He will cleanse you. From your filthiness, he will cleanse you from your idols. What idols? I don't have any idols. I don't have any images. I don't have all this. Anything that takes the place of Christ in your life is your idol, including your family. God convicted me hard on this one because I do everything in my power to make sure my family has everything that they need, want. I work extra hours. I do whatever I have to do to make sure they have everything they need that I didn't have. I've tried to provide, you name it, I'm going to do it. How many good parents? That's what we do, right? But even that becomes an idol if we're not careful. If Christ is not the center of it, if Christ is not the center of it, then I'm li- I am living and leading a bad example for my kids. The greatest thing that I can ever do is to be an example and to lead them into Christ. He will do what's necessary. And sometimes what's necessary is painful. Sometimes what's necessary in your life to cut you off is painful. Sometimes it means getting rid of bad relationships. Sometimes it means cutting you off from things that you know. Sometimes it means severing things that you're happy with. Habits, hobbies, all these different things. The evidence that you are truly converted is not that one time in your life you said a prayer and asked Jesus to come in. The evidence is that one time in your life you repented and you continue repenting today. The evidence is that one time you believed unto salvation and you continue believing today. My friend, when the Apostle Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Have you become a new creation? When you fall into sin, does it break your heart and conflict you? Or do you love it? Has God changed you? Has he changed your heart? Has he changed your mind? Now listen, you may be sitting here and you've been in church your entire life doesn't mean you're saved. That's what it is. 
looking at somebody who spent their entire life, grew up in church, you name it, can quote you every part of the scripture, but I didn't know Christ. I didn't know him. I knew everything about him. It's like a good, great athlete. I love, I love sports. And I can tell you all the statistics about every athlete and all my favorite sports teams. It doesn't mean I know them. I can tell you how many points Michael Jordan scored, but it doesn't mean I know the guy. Just because you know all the things there is to know about Jesus doesn't mean you know him. Are you, are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Another sign of spiritual maturity, you see this in church, you're blessed with it. I know Pastor Brian is blessed here. Another sign of spiritual maturity is when you're not getting upset and moving from church to church just because you get your feelings hurt. That's spiritual maturity. Guess what? In my family, we disagree about things. Don't mean I stop loving them. That's okay. That's why we gather together. That's why we get under the under the leadership of the pastor. And we're fed the word of God to help nourish us, to help us move along. That's what we do. That's the beauty of it. That's the amazing thing about the house of God. I, I kind of look at it as almost like a refueling station. You know, you battle and you battle all week. You get into the house of God with your brothers and sisters. You can let your hair down a little bit. You can celebrate the presence of God. You say, all right, I'm going to get behind you. We're going to go for another week of this. As you grow in holiness, as you grow in your walk with Christ, then other things are going to start to change. And church doesn't just become something you do on Sunday. It becomes a part of you. Getting in the Word of God doesn't just become something that you do occasionally, but it becomes a part of you. Prayer doesn't just happen on Sundays, but it's a daily thing. You can't live without the presence of God. Church, I'm encouraging you right now to examine yourself. Regardless of how long you, you have proclaimed to be a Christian, examine yourself. Is this evident? When you stand before a holy God, is he going to look at you and say, well done? Or is he going to say, depart? Because I know this. If God chooses to send me to hell, I promise you I'm not going to be the nasher. I'm going to be a weaver. And the reason why is because he has every right to send me there. Because that's what I deserve. I deserve it. He's a just God. And knowing the Bible the way that I know the Bible, I deserve it. But I also know this. That he gives grace in Christ Jesus freely. The Bible is pretty clear about this. If you simply confess and you believe. It's not just confess one time. You continue to confess. And you continue believing on the name of Christ. You will what? Be saved. Continue. Continue. It's the hunger for the word of God growing in your life. know Pastor Brian goes through the Bible verse by verse. If you've been in our Bible study, it's taken us four months to get through two chapters. Verse by verse.
us to understand the word of God. If you don't get it, call your pastor. Call your leaders. Begin to develop a knowledge and a hunger for the word of God that leads you to spiritual maturity. You want to know what God hates? Read his word. You want to know what God loves? Read his word. You want to know where you need to be spiritually? Read his word. Because I, and I hate to say it like this. If you're depending on the preacher on Sunday morning for your Christianity, you're going to fail because we fail. I fail. He fails. If you're depending upon a man for your faith, that's a problem. 